Welcome to Netflix and Skill, where we go deep into our favorite movies and how they were made. Come join us. Okay, so hello, Martina. <laughs> hello, Diana. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you so much for inviting me today. <laughs> You're most welcome. Uh, we noticed you were super hyped about watching anime, so we thought, why not get a student in? And uh, you were the chosen one. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about films with my friends and family. This is the first time I'm doing something that seems official, so thank you for uh, appreciating what I have to say. <laughs> Great. You're... Um, Thoughts are highly appreciated here, don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, today we're talking about uh, Princess Mononoke, which was the last film we saw during our Netflix and Skill session. One of my favorite films. <laughs> nice. That was a, a, a good uh, choice on our side then. I chose it. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're talking about Princess Mononoke by the anime and animation master Hayao Miyazaki. Um, what's your connection to anime why you know since when have you watched anime or read manga or uh, gotten into the um, the world of japan actually when i was 11 or 12 i bought my first manga volume i think it was a uh, naruto so we're talking about hayo Hi miyazaki so nice. <laughs> uh but i first watched spirited away when i was too young to actually understand it <laughs> and I was really afraid of the whole concept and film and the first time I watched it as an adult I loved the film mm. I loved the animation the story the themes and after that I started watching all of Miyazaki's films and I fell in love with yeah. his way of creating I guess he had, words. Um, Spirited Away is kind of the film that brought a lot of the western world to Miyazaki, because it's kind of the most Western film he's he's made, right? Yeah, definitely. It even won an Oscar for that, and that's what made him successful in in the West. We were brought up with uh, Disney and and Pixar, and that's all the world of animation that we were used to. Actually, Italy, for some reason, um, has a, a big anime culture just because public television. Um, still airs and used to air when I was growing up quite a lot of anime um, so that's how I kind of got into the world of, of um, uh, Naruto and Conan and Sailor Moon and all these, uh, these Sailor Moon yeah. and Salmon King and because it's similar in Greece we um, broadcast a lot of anime series but as a kid it's really hard to define how, why you like it and you definitely know that it's different from the Disney animation that you watch I feel like you appreciate it more as an adult. Yeah, 100%. I think um, I, st I still rewatch, you know, Dragon Ball or uh, Sailor Moon. And I, you know, yes. I, I notice stuff now that um, before was just, you know, passed unnoticed. But I think, I think um, that's what kind of brought us into the world of, of Japan and kind of how Japanese tell their stories. Because it's very different from how we do it, right? Exactly. And especially with Princess Mononoke, uh, Miyazaki himself thought that even though it's not a film directly addressed to children, he believes that children can understand it way more than adults do. Mm, absolutely. So the themes that 
Hayao Miyazaki touches in Princess Mononoke are quite heavy themes. But he says himself that um, even though they're quite heavy, right, children are still with their with their sensitivity, they're still going to appreciate them and, and kind of capture those messages. And even though, you know, it's 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 a very graphic film, isn't it? Violence is, <laughs> exactly. pretty, is pretty strong. And it's easier as a child to accept that, yes, a forest can have spirits. And it makes sense that if you hurt the spirit of the forest, they will want revenge. Absolutely. And it's more believable as a kid to see the wolf wanting revenge and talking to to the human actually communicating than as an adult it's so easy to just dismiss it dismiss the whole idea if you're watching it and not appreciating the animation or the uh, the concept as an adult so roger ebert the famous film critic when he was writing about princess mononoke he strongly believes that in realistic films you can see the physical world but in animation films, you can see the essence of the world around you. And yeah, that's, that's really I interesting. I totally agree with what he's saying. Yeah, and, and Miyazaki does it in almost every film, right? I mean, the medium of animation, as you said, allows us to see the essence of something. And for Miyazaki, everything has a spirit. And that completely like matches um, the theory that you're talking about because it means that he allows us to see the forest spirits, uh, the tree spirits, the cute little uh, creepy <laughs> tree spirits, um, the, yeah, kodama. the kodama. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so it, it's it's uh, exactly what you're saying, and I think the designs of those characters also evoke a world that is pretty far away from us, but that we accept. And as you said, as children, we accept even better because we don't question it. We think that it's plausible that a river has a spirit and a tree has a spirit and and a forest exactly. has a spirit. And in the way that he constructs his worlds, uh, he has been accused for Princess Mononoke, for example, that uh, for historical in- inaccuracies. But especially when it came to the to the women depicted in the film, like people were accusing him that women would, wouldn't be able to work at the time or they wouldn't be able to have this much power. But <laughs> it doesn't matter for him. It's It's more about the essence and the spirit. And he wants to portray a better world gender makes no difference to him so absolutely and and by doing this by saying oh it doesn't really matter he's us actually being a very strong feminist exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's pretty awesome that the two main oppositions are represented by two women right i agree and, and two very different women at the same time and similar so they they they're both really powerful and they would go all the way f- to achieve their goals. And this is, you know, it's it's important to see that he's not on anyone's side. He's not on the women's side. He's not on the men's side. He's not on the animal and nature side and not on the human side. He's, he's depicting reality as a whole, uh, as a very complex unit that that's how how reality is there's no good and evil um there's there's a balance but there's no real good and evil and i think portraying these two strong women as he did he's really telling us that um you know lady aboshi she's the first time we see her she she does have this very powerful characteristics right her clothing and the way yeah, she exactly. she poses and almost scary right cuz the first time we see her i think she's she's shooting at some wolves. Uh, the wolves, yeah. yes. 
And then a few minutes later, we're introduced to her inside Iron Town and taking care of the women and the lepers and showing so much affection to her people. Absolutely. All so, of her actions are justified. So I believe that he manages to talk about politics and war in more sincere way than American war films that we watch are. Absolutely. When I was younger, I thought that uh, the script was not that clear. I expected to like a Disney film towards Asitaka going into the village, uh, encountering the bad humans and then fighting with the purpose of saving the good animals and saving the na nature. But it's way more complicated than that. Everyone's moral is justified and there are so many conflicts throughout the film, even between the animals, between the humans. I think he portrays it realistically. Absolutely. It's it's much more complicated and complex than black and white. And this is how he's telling the story exactly in, in all its um, shades, I guess. Exactly. Um, and this this happens, as we said, with Lady Eboshi, but also with Princess Mononoke, Princess Mononoke herself. So San, we see her wanting to protect the forest and the spirits and the animals with all her life, but at the expenses of killing humans. So she has this hatred, uh, which some people might say it's justified, right? Because humans mm -hmm. are destroying her land and her animals and, and um, the spirits of the forest. But we can't empathize completely with her because there's something that kind of puts us back and says, oh, she's she's willing to kill all the human. Um, so that's absolutely like, that's so different from any kind of Disney good or bad kind of villains and, and heroes, right? And that's why we follow Asitaka all throughout the film. He's the human that we can relate to. Absolutely. And Miyazaki originally wanted to name the film uh, The Legend of Asitaka, but... His producer decided that the essence of the film is Princess Mononoke, so... Yeah, it's quite interesting. And someone posed the question, it's why Why is it called Princess Mononoke? Why during the, the session? And um, and you actually answered yeah, that, I right? I think I can <laughs> repeat that, because yeah, yeah. I think she's the marriage between the human, humans and nature. She portrays the union because she's not exactly a human, but she's not exactly a wolf. She's... Exactly. That's something in between. And she showcases how this union can actually be successful. Humans and nature can actually work and be together. And I think probably Ashitaka is kind of the, the link between the two worlds as well, right? Exactly. He, he empathizes with both and understands all their needs. Um, and and he, what's he, what he's always repeating all the time is, why can't we come together and and uh, make peace and actually work together for each other rather than stomping on each other's exactly. <laughs> and you know that he is not doing that in order to protect himself because he suffers from <laughs> something that it's impossible to find a cure. He has been cursed by the by the nature demon from the first five minutes of the film. So you know that eventually he's going to die. So he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have any personal gain out of this. He just wants peace. So we talked about some of the themes um, that that Miyazaki touches upon in Princess Mononoke, which are uh, women, the good and the evil, um, how they're represented. Politics, yeah. Politics, course. absolutely. And uh, diseased, right? Diseased, yeah. You can see the lepers in the film, that how they symbolize. Basically, they, have, they suffer from what Asitaka suffers as well. They cannot be cured. And... They still have a chance to leave and go by. And then I think the, the probably the the 
widest theme and and the theme that kind of uh, we follow throughout the whole film is the environment, right? Exactly. Um, he Hayao Miyazaki in most of his films, through the aid of spirits and um, demons, I guess, represents the battle, the continuous battle between uh, humans and nature. And he does it I mean, he does it in a very specific way in in Princess Mononoke. Yeah, you can see that from the first five minutes of the film, uh, I think one of the first lines in the film is something's wrong with the forest. And that's where the uh, boar demon comes out and attacks Asitaka. Right, and we find out that the boar... um, was actually a spirit of the forest and he had become a demon because of a human-inflicted exactly. um, iron ball, right? So that he's poisoned by iron. <laughs> human, A human-made poison, let's call it. It's the best symbol for showing industrial progress and how mm. nature cannot keep up with that. Absolutely. I guess, I guess what I really enjoy, what we were talking about earlier, um, the good and the evil... What I really enjoy when it comes to talking about the environment is that, again, it's not giving us a linear um, answer to what we should do and what is good and what is evil. Um, because because that's how complex the, the problem is. And it's really interesting that he was tackling this in 1997, almost 20 years ago. Exactly. You see the humans in the film that they want to progress, they want to manage to protect themselves, make weapons, um provide for uh, Lady Abossi wants to provide for her people it's not that she only does everything out of creed but at the same time she wants to help her community and even the animals they do not agree on how to uh, comfort comfort her Uh, some of the animals just want to simply attack and kill her some of the animals want to help nature in different ways yeah for example the apes want to plant trees right exactly they they kept um keep pushed back by, by Lady Eboshi. And even the spirit of the forest, uh, you can see that it's not a vengeful one. That's the interesting thing about Mononoke, because her name actually means spirit, a vengeful spirit in Japanese culture, and she wants to attack, she wants to kill. But the spirit of the forest, even though it's able to take and give life, it's the most peaceful throughout the film. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't attack anyone, and... Even at the very end, it gives life while it's dying. Absolutely. I think that's kind of where the final message of the film resides, right? The fact that nature gives life and takes life. And absolutely, that scene kind of wraps up the whole film for me where, you know, we didn't understand what side we were on and um, who we we were rooting for. Um, But ultimately... Miyazaki was something really simple like um, the death of the spirit of the forest, right? He's giving life to all of the surrounding mountains and and he makes also even Lady Eboshi understand that she has to rebuild her town but in a proper way. I agree, yeah, in a more respectful way for her environment. So there can be a way where humans live more in peace and more in tune with nature without having to compromise um, their evolution, right? Definitely, so it's uh, a new way, and that's a hopeful and positive message of the film. But the forest god is dead, so that means that Miyazaki's message is that nature is adaptable, and nature and humans are changing, and they're going to change in order to survive. Absolutely, that's really beautiful. <laughs> Why don't we uh, briefly talk about the cinematography 
yeah. of of Princess Mononoke. First of all, I want to mention that it was a really expensive um, film to make. Yeah, the most cost, expensive Ghibli film at the time. <laughs> it cost about 23 million US dollars, which is pretty impressive. And to be honest, for the length of the film, which is two hours, two years is actually not that much. But uh, Studio Ghibli, which is obviously the studio, um, Hayao Miyazaki's studio, um, prides themselves for being really on it and really strict and really on time. So they they all actually had a burnout after uh, the finish of the film because they were they were completely knackered. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> In total, one hundred forty four thousand cells were handmade, and that's that's an insane <laughs> amount of frames. Incredible. If you think about it, because all of them are hand, most of them are hand paint as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Most of them are hand drawn and drawn, hand yes. painted as well. So most of the backgrounds are coloured in with traditional paint. Amazing. Which is just stunning, and you can see that you know texture of the paint. Exactly, and isn't there a rumor that Miyazaki did most of them himself? What's that? Yeah, they say he 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 drew about eighty thousand of them, or and he supervised all of them, which sounds kind of a lot, but I believe in the master. <laughs> but yeah, what I find what I find stunning is you know the 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 colors the the saturation of these um these hand painted uh cells are just absolutely stunning they they give this kind of like pastel almost like monet kind of uh painting right exactly the scenes where ashitaka is is riding on the crest of the hills of the mountains they are just paintings <laughs> i know that they're, they're you know that's exactly what they are they're paintings and that's why they speak so deeply to me at least, they're just so evocative and um, picturesque. And the way that light is also used in the film, uh, you can understand the differences between uh, early early dawn, morning, uh, afternoon and night as well. You feel the natural lighting in the film, which is amazing achievement for an animated film. Absolutely. It's very, very naturalistic, right? Exactly. Obviously, it is natural elements, but they're mm. they're managing to, to transpose the naturalistic element of it. I think lighting is absolutely stunning. Can you imagine for the forest scenes how much actual artwork there is to make all the single spots of shadow and light? <laughs> Amazing. I find that absolutely incredible. And there's an amount of work put into that. It's like artistry that is is absolutely unthinkable for me, to be honest. It's admirable. <laughs> Actually, I read that to recreate the forest, they went, all the team of directors and background artists and digital animators uh, went to the ancient forest of Yakushima and the mountains of Shirakami Sanchi. And that's where they got, they, they studied how light passes through leaves and uh, what kind of texture this, this light creates. And You can see all that, all that in the film. Even though I haven't been to the forest, you can feel how realistic it looks like. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's what we said earlier, right? It's realistic and naturalistic. But at the same time, when we arrive in this, in this uh, lake of the deer god, the light is also 
natural but at the same time magical exactly there's an element maybe it's the sparkles and the ripples of the water or maybe it's it's the colors of the forest of the um, of the tree gods i agree because then it's not just about being beautiful or realistic it's also in line with our story that's when we know that okay this place is sacred and every time we see the forest god the light also changes It serves a bigger purpose in the film, just looking nice. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> And other fun fact is, um, it's true that most of it is in 2D, but it's one of the earlier films of Miyazaki where there's a bit of computer graphics animation. So we talked about this during the session, but um, the first boar god demon, hmm, exactly. um, all of his kind of crazy... I don't know what to call them. Like look like snakes, yeah, <laughs> coming out of his uh, poison skin. Yeah, yeah, and all of that is is computer graphics because obviously the amount of work doing yeah. that frame by frame in a 2D animation is really really intense. And it was uh, really the pressure of time that uh, resulted to that because I think Miyazaki still wanted to paint all that, to hand drawn all <laughs> yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, but they they finished like a couple months before the release so <laughs> I can imagine them being very stressed and being exactly. like okay let's let's just go for uh, graphic design and that but but what they'd started doing in this film as well was adding little elements of computer graphics for example most of the atmospheric lighting for example so yeah we said that um, there was a bit of computer animation in the film a bit of it was the boar demon spiraling around his arm and all that kind of like sequence was computer animated on top of the 2d animation and the rest of it they use it to kind of give a bit more texture so sometimes it's lights uh, sometimes it's rain all these kind of elements that are really hard to animate in traditional 2D they add it later on with graphic animation and this is a technique that they started using and Studio Ghibli still uses that uh, 2D plus animation, animation graphics, graphics yeah, yeah. It just gives that extra layer of texture, basically. And we mentioned the running time of the film being just a bit over two hours. Yeah. yeah. And what was really important for Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli was that this running time remained uncut, especially when it was distributed to Western audiences. Yeah. Because they had some bad experiences with their first film, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Because when it was first distributed in the US audiences, it was cat in so many ways that that's why the film was a disaster so Miramax was the company that distributed the film in the US at the time and they say that Harvey Weinstein just got delivered a sword with words do not cut <laughs> 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 then yeah and when Miyazaki was asked about that he said yes we did that but my producer Suzuki did that it wasn't me that delivered the sword <laughs> That's a good move <laughs> so on the it master. It remains uncut, yes. <laughs> All right, so we've talked about uh, the themes and the script a little bit, and then we touched upon the cinematography. But now I wanted to briefly talk about sound. The music is by uh, Joe Isaishi, which is yes. the composer of most of Miyazaki's films. Exactly. But you were telling me something earlier, which, which I found really interesting. Oh, yeah. Apparently his name is a pseudonym. And uh, it can effectively be translated in Japanese as Quincy Jones. <laughs> <laughs> It's the best pseudonym that you can have, yes. And then, and then you said something else about um, about how mature it sounds compared to other yeah, soundtracks. Yeah, you can. Um, 
it's definitely it definitely has a more distinctive adult sound to it and it's and it's not about Joe's evolution as a composer because when Ponyo comes after after some years which is addressed to even five-year-olds uh, you can hear how innocent uh, the sound is and it resembles the music from My Neighbor Totoro again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But when it comes to Princess Mononoke, Miyazaki's instruction was that he needed a soundtrack that was mature, that was adult. And It's so... Yeah like epic th- from the very start right it opens exactly. with the theme already there and it's it just drives the whole story and makes the journey of the hero so much more epic and a song that Miyazaki himself wrote <laughs> as yeah. with the song when the women are working Miyazaki wrote that as well yeah you can see his commitment all throughout the film <laughs> absolutely it's it's I, I think the soundtrack is one of the best um Studio Ghibli and, and Miyazaki I agree Uh, film soundtracks for sure and about sound design the first thing that i noticed when when thinking about sound design was the absence of sound exactly when the dear god comes in the silence is so unsettling you're not used to listening to nothing even when you want to showcase silence you use a sound to to show that But it was complete silence when the dear God was approaching. Yeah, and we see this moment, which is really interesting because we see the pause of the dear God and there's shrubbery and leaves and and flowers growing around it, right? Exactly. And at the same time as it's growing, they're dying. So it's a moment where we kind of, we're already understanding the the character of the dear God and kind of the whole theme of the film, really, in that one shot. Yeah. And... As we're so concentrated in what's going on there, in that moment, Miyazaki decides that we shouldn't be hearing anything else. We should just be concentrating on the image. No, and as you say, it's it's really unsettling. It makes us feel really weird. Like when you're at the cinema, you're in a room with people and suddenly it's it's really quiet. It's just really awkward. Yeah, you're not, we're not used to not hearing anything. <laughs> That's so true. And um, I find that like creative sound decision really, really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And there were also distinctive sounds when, whenever Princess Mononoke would approach. I mean, I can still, I still remember the the thing in her earrings. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for sure. It's every time she kind of turns around, and there's a moment of understanding between her and Ashitaka, especially. Uh, There's always this cling, and it. It's it's really distinctive to her and and her character, right? I agree. It's a, a way to indicate through the sound that this is an important moment when it comes to Princess Mononoke. It's not just the image that gives gives us this feeling, but also the sound. Yeah, and I mean, if we if you think about it, all of it is made in post production. Everything is foley. Um, I find that always really really interesting. In class, we always talk about. Um, how do we record sound in the best possible way? Well, these guys have no opportunity to record it. They have to create <laughs> exactly. everything by scratch. <laughs> so yeah. for me, that's that's really interesting, thinking of you know having the sound um, studio and recreating everything bit by bit. Something interesting about sound in animation is that usually dialogue is recorded before picture and then the picture is made. And then sometimes if, for example, the actor changes, uh, sometimes they re-record dialogue, but usually dialogue is recorded as the first thing. Hmm. Um, and then obviously all the Foley sound is, is done later on to match pick the picture. That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting choice because 
I guess you prefer to have the dialogue first in terms of uh, realism. You don't want to make your actor match exactly all the lip movements of your animation. <laughs> exactly. It makes total sense. Yeah, yes. so sometimes when we see kind of like behind the scenes uh, of famous actors dubbing um, an animation, a lot of the time that dialogue had been recorded previously, maybe by another actor to kind of fill in and then re-recorded with, with the main artist. And you know that everything is there for a reason and ha it has a purpose because it has been recreated. We're going to do the six degrees of separation now where each one of us is going to come up with something linked to what the previous person said. Six degrees of separation. Okay, so mm. Martina, you have the honor of starting <laughs> this game. <laughs> well, since it's a Studio Ghibli film, I'm going to start with uh, Studio Ghibli. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now it's your turn. <laughs> um, okay, fun fact. I'm Italian, as you probably would have guessed. Okay. And uh, Ghibli... Uh, I, I was looking online so for so long how to pronounce Ghibli properly and I realized uh, Ghibli is actually an Italian name and it comes from a plane and oh. Miyazaki's father was an aviator and so he got uh, the name of the plane and um, it's actually an Italian so I'm this, I'm totally like so you can okay pronounce it the, the right way <laughs> Uh, although they say Ghibli or something like that, like I, think so. I have no idea. No, I'm gonna. So no, now I prefer that I say Ghibli as well. <laughs> But this makes extreme sense because flight is such a common theme in all of all of his films. Yep. You ha we have Kiki's Delivery Service where flight is a symbol of your freedom, and as he loses creativity, he loses your ability to fly, which yeah, is amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's we true. have Howl's Moving Castle. We have uh, Castle in the Sky and uh, Porco Rosso. Yep. So, <laughs> so wait, that's uh, Ghibli, uh, the Italian name, the flight. So we're at three. Okay, my fourth one is going to be Porco Rosso. <laughs> um, again, uh, revolving around aviators because Porco Rosso is actually a, a pig. Yeah, Porco exactly. means pig in yeah. Italian. Um, and he's a World War One ex-fighter. And he's at, he's turned because of a curse into a a, uh, a pig yeah. and he becomes a bounty hunter. It's, it's one of my favorite, well, actually after Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away maybe. But Porco Rosso is a, is a pretty fun uh, all-round movie, I guess. I agree. And it's uh, it managed to be fun, but it's actually inspired by the Yugoslavian wars. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, that's my, my next point. That, number uh, five? My number five, yeah, the Yugoslavian wars. Because Miyazaki was he was meant to do a, another film about childhood and ch uh, children but after uh, the war he decided that this is the right time to make a film with the theme of war in it yeah awesome that's that's super interesting and then as my number six i'm gonna go back to princess mononoke because obviously <laughs> theme of war uh yeah, war it, uh... against uh you know between humans and and the environment and the planet uh is kind of um the all-round exactly uh, final yeah, theme of, of princess mononoke so we've done it high five Um, okay, so that was uh, Six Degrees of Separation of Princess Mononoke. And if you want to know more about anime or Japanese animation, come find me, Diana, or... Me, Martina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to talk about this a lot. <laughs> Thank you for listening in. And we're going to end the show with a quote by the master 
Hayao Miyazaki. You must see with eyes unclouded by hate. See the good in that which is evil and the evil in that which is good. Pledge yourself to neither side, but vow instead to preserve the balance that exists between the two. Today's episode was written by Diana Scalfati and Martina Andrakopoulou, with thanks to Roe Holloway University of London, engineered by Matthew Del Toro and produced by Matthew McGuinness. Music by Vast, inspired by Philip K. Dick. Search Facebook for Vast Electronica with an A at the end. Stay tuned for more.